Hi, I'm Sarah Jook, Executive Director at College Possible Minnesota. In Minnesota and across the country, the number of jobs requiring workers with a post-secondary education is outpacing the number of college graduates. It is crucial to invest in the graduates needed to fill this gap and build a workforce representative of our communities. And we know that College Possible students will play an important role in our future workforce. On June 15, 2017, College Possible alumni Fasil Adno and Maya Vu were joined on a panel with former Minneapolis Mayor R.T. Rybeck and Vice President of External Relations at General Mills, Kim Nelson, to address how we can meet these changing workforce needs. Listen in as the panel takes on this topic and answers questions from a live audience. Good morning, everyone. Welcome to what is sure to be a great discussion this morning. My name is Sarah Jook. I'm the Executive Director of College Possible. And for those of you that aren't familiar with College Possible and the work that we're doing today, we are a nationally growing nonprofit organization working with low-income students to make sure that college graduation is possible through an intensive curriculum of coaching and support. In Minnesota, we're currently working with 2,500 high school students at 55 high schools across the state, and we're supporting 5,500 college students enrolled at more than 60 institutions here in Minnesota and 250 institutions across the United States. Our students are the future leaders of this state and our country. It's critical that their voices are heard and their talents are utilized if we wanna see Minnesota become a place that includes all people and empowers all to succeed. You'll find on the back of the program that you received this morning just a few statistics about the changing face of the workforce in Minnesota and the importance of ensuring that we have the talented, diverse workforce that we need to thrive. I'm especially struck by one of the facts from the Minnesota Department of Employment and Economic Development that says that this decade, uh, one in three new jobs created will require education beyond high school and one-fourth of the replacement job openings will also require a higher level of education. It's critical for us to invest in the future leaders needed to fill those positions and to recognize that their diverse backgrounds are an incredible asset to our state. College Possible is honored to work with so many of these young people and we're thrilled to bring you together today to discuss our changing workforce needs. It's a top priority for our organization, for us at College Possible, to recruit and retain a team that's representative of the students that we serve. As an organization, we continue to take steps to hire a talented and diverse team. One way we've done this is by looking to our program alumni to serve as both AmeriCorps members and leadership team in our organization. Currently, nearly 20% of our team were once students in our program. We also recognize that it can be financially difficult to do a year of service. Um, and for all to see service as an option. So we've started providing additional financial allowance for our program alumni and for students that were low-income college students to make sure that they are able to serve with us as AmeriCorps members. In addition to our hiring practices, we provide extensive training to equip our staff to work with individuals from diverse backgrounds and to facilitate a responsive and inclusive workplace. We also have a staff-led community access and inclusion group which focuses on providing professional development and leadership opportunities, as well as creating a space to build community for our team members that identify as low income, first generation, or people of color. This is an ongoing process for us at College Possible, and we know that there's much more work to do. For this reason, I'm as excited as anyone in the audience to hear from our panel today. So I'm gonna begin by giving a quick introduction to our panelists. You'll hear more about their roles and their backgrounds throughout the panel. But first, please help me in welcoming Fasil Adno. He's a credit analyst at Vision Bank, Minnesota, and a College Possible alumnus. Kim Nelson is Senior Vice President of External Relations at General Mills and President of the General Mills Foundation. R.T. Rybeck is the CEO and President of the Minneapolis Foundation. And Maya Vu is an IT Project Coordinator at United Health and a College Possible alumna. 
I've prepared just a few questions for the panelists that will help to provide a foundation for our conversation today. And then we'll spend our remaining time taking questions from all of you. So I'd like to start with my first question for Facile. As a young leader, what assets and strengths do you and your peers bring to the table that you'd like to highlight for employers? Good morning, everyone. Uh, thanks for having me here. Um, I would say the biggest thing that we bring to the table is a positive attitude. I think that's needed for most people that are joining the workforce, along with uh, credibility. We've, we've shown in many ways that we can actually get the work done and be, uh, be accountable for what we do, as well as uh, just have you know, an encouraging background that we come from a lot of different adversities. We overcame those things, but at the same time that we focused on the, the end goal. So that, that kind of shows we can get things done and you know, be productive for the company. So. Thank you, Fasil. Maya, I'd like to ask you that same question. As a young leader, what assets and strengths do you and your peers bring to the table that you'd like to highlight for employers? Hi, everyone. I would say adaptability, curiosity, and leadership experience. And what I mean by that is, for me, as a first-generation college graduate from a low-income family, um, I wasn't born here in the United States. I was born in a refugee camp, and I was raised here. And cultural assimilation was something that um, was a part of my life. And so I feel like I've always had to learn how to adapt. And I think that's a great skill to have in the workforce because, you know, when you're working, things are always changing. And if you're able to adapt, then that's a great skill to have. Um, in terms of curiosity, because um, I was first generation, my parents did not share the same experiences that um, I had. And so I'm always curious to learn more. Even in the workplace, if it's a new job, I'm always curious to learn how to do things better, how to problem solve better. And in terms of um, leadership experiences, a lot of uh, students, even in college before they graduate and go into the workforce, they have a lot, they've built a lot, a lot of leadership experience. For me, it was being involved in student organizations. Um, it was participating in internships so that before I even enter the corporate world, my internship experiences have already given me a lot of skills and knowledge to help me succeed in that role. Great, thank you, Maya. Um, RT, I'd like to uh, ask you a question at this time. Through your experience as the mayor of Minneapolis, your current role as CEO of the Minneapolis Foundation, and your work with the Itasca Project, can you share what you feel prioritizing a diverse work, why you feel prioritizing a diverse workforce is important for our state, and the opportunities that you see on the horizon for companies? Sure, I was just chuckling because like, Maya and Facile, are they great? I mean, <laughs> <laughs> Well, there's a negative way to answer that, and there's a positive way. The negative way is the fact of the matter is we are running out of workers, and we are also competing in a world where most of the rest of the world has better language skills, better cultural fluency, and um, we as uh, people who have done well because we've done so well around the world are deeply threatened. So that's the bad news. Okay, the good news is college possible. And some other organizations here, too, and a mindset here that has been about saying that the next generation we are raising right now has more cultural fluency. They've been born in refugee camps. They've come from around the world. They bring to the rest of us who've been living in a pretty isolated majority culture here uh, tremendous skills. And at a period of time with Brexit and globalism challenged where much of the world is questioning whether the United States is gonna compete and be a partner around the world, we have in Minneapolis-St. Paul the most globally fluent new generation we have ever had by far, and they're gonna lead us into a new place if we open our doors. That's why I believe in College Possible, and that's why I'm working with College Possible on something called Connext. It's an alumni association for the alumni of this organization and other high-performing youth organizations, and it's gonna put the names of all these great alums in a single database, and it's also gonna be a social network so that HR directors from all these different companies can see 
the amazing talent and the Facils and the Mayas of the world and uh, hire them and keep them here and make us more competitive than any other country in the United States. And if they don't want to follow our lead, that's their problem. <laughs> <laughs> Thank you. Kim, as a leader of one of Minnesota's most prominent companies, General Mills, and as well as through your work with community initiatives like Generation Next, can you share a little bit more about best practices that you've seen companies and leaders implement to intentionally recruit and retain a diverse workforce? Yes, first of all, thank you for having me this morning. This is just wonderful. It's just a privilege and it's, it's just fun to have a chance to talk about this issue um, different from my day-to-day -day world. Um, second, I want to hire both of these two. <laughs> um, best practices. Um, I think, first of all, in the workforce, it is very, very re real that we are looking for diverse talent. I think any of my peers sitting here from any major employer would say the same thing. So I think that goes without saying. But for example, it might surprise you to know that fully 40% of General Mills new hires are people of color. So we are in the US. So we are looking, and we're no different than anyone else, because we have to better reflect the populations that we're serving. And that's just a fact. So this is very topical, it's very relevant, and that diversity is very real. So the best practices are one, leadership. So you have to have visible and vocal leadership. We've benefited from that at General Mills with a series of CEOs who talked about the business case for diversity. This isn't a right thing to do thing. It's a business requirement. It's an imperative. So that's the first thing. Um, second is holding um, our business leaders accountable. Because even with the best of intentions, you know, uh, the business gets away from you and you're just in your day to day. And you have to have metrics. You have to have goals. What gets measured gets done in companies like mine. And uh, if you know you're going to have to sit down with the CEO and the head of human resources and explain your diversity plans, you know, how you are developing talent and also how you are sourcing talent to meet your diversity goals, um, you know, you, you pay attention to that. So I think that's the second thing, leadership accountability. And I would say the third thing is um, a best practice is focusing on inclusion, not just diversity. Because it's one thing to bring diverse talent into companies like mine. It's an entirely different thing to make sure that that talent thrives and can be successful in the environment and uh, is loving it and having the great experience and opportunity that you need to want to stay in a company. So I would say those are, are the big things that I think companies who are successful in this space uh, focus on. Thank you. I'm going to turn it to audience questions in just a minute, but before I do, I'm going to go back to Maya and then Fasil um, with a question. What advice would you give to recent college graduates that are navigating the workforce if their background isn't well represented in an organization? Maya, would you like to respond first? Yeah, I would say that once you actually get into the organization, don't feel discouraged if you feel like you're not represented because just your presence being there is already providing um, diversity and thought. And that's really important because if you weren't there, that diversity wouldn't be there. And for me, um, my first job out of college, I worked at Travelers Insurance and it's a great organization, but I was the youngest person and also one of the few people of color on the floor. And um, there were challenges to that, but then for me, what I found successful was to find mentors who may not necessarily look like me or um, came from the same walks of life as, as me, but they provided a different perspective that I wouldn't have thought of to help me grow and succeed in my role. Great. Yeah, um, I would start by adding about the mentorship. Uh, finding a mentor is one of the key things that I think um, that will help recent grads get into positions as well as help them develop personally as well as professionally. Um, I've had the privilege of having multiple mentors, which one of them is here. I'm really grateful that you're here. Uh, and then having to continually be held accountable for your actions um, with intent is really important. Uh, what I mean by intent is you have to be intentional to be outside your, your group of people. 
that you're so used to living uh, and working and being around students that are like you in college, those similar-minded people are not in the world. So you have to be intentional to seek other diverse, you know, diversity. You might be the diversity in a group of people that, let's say I'm the diversity in this room. That doesn't mean that I need to, you know, get out and find some, someone else that looks different than me, thinks different than me, and actually network with them, learn from them, and actually grow as a person. So be intentional about uh, those, uh, seeking those things, as well as network a lot. Network with people that are um, in different organizations, leadership roles, as, as mentioned here. So I think those are the biggest thing. Oh yeah, and then lastly, keep working on your software skills as well as self-help uh, resources. Like read a lot of books. I think that helps you understand yourself. When you understand yourself, you can understand the world you're getting into. So that's, that's, uh, that's my advice for the recent grant. Great, thank you, Fasil. At this time, we would like to open it to the floor for questions. Um, before your question, please share your name and your organization, if applicable. We're going to have Jeff and Helen um, on both sides of the aisle with microphones, and they'll alternate between sides. And we'd love, at this point, to, to have a discussion with the audience and the panelists. Is there anyone that would like to get us started? Hi, my name is New. I'm with the City of St. Paul, and it's a pleasure to be here and be able to hear your guys' experience and um, advice here too as well. My question is to Kim, because you mentioned, I, I'm an HR recruiter, so I'm very curious in the recruitment and retention piece, and you mentioned that 40% of your new hires are people of color. Would you be able to talk more, share about those strategy? Sure. Um, you know, if you are, um, if you are trying to, we, we do, it's women as well, you know, if you're trying to create a workforce profile that looks like your consumer base, you're gonna have to forward hire, right? And so that's why we over hire for population representation for our people of color, because we know we need to, you know, we have to catch up, so to speak. And we've been doing that for many years now, and that's why we're making the progress that we're making. I think if we hired at the flat percentage of you know, those populations, that population representation, we wouldn't close the gap as quickly as we have been able to over the past, say, 15, 15 20 years. So that's what's behind that strategy. Um, and you know, I, I guess I would say it's, it's not easy. We have functional areas that really struggle. Engineering is really hard to get diverse talent. And we, we have to, we, we recruit at NASB, you know, the, the, Associ the Association for Black Engineers. Um, you know, finance can be difficult, you know, so there's certain pockets that are really challenging. Um, but if you really want, you have to be pretty serious, I think, if you really want to get this work done. And you have to have the full commitment of the organization behind you, and you have to be creative. We, we do things like we have this program at General Mills where it's sort of a bring a friend night, and it's existing employees of General Mills who really, who are people of color, who understand where the bar is, who bring friends that they have, maybe it's friends from school, or maybe it's just colleagues that they know, who they know are interested and looking, and they bring them to this night. So I think that's one of the most creative recruiting strategies we have, is leveraging our own employee base to find employees that they think could be successful. And the employee actually gets, I don't know what this little benefit is, but it's some sort of financial reward if the hire is made. So it's a, you know, you have to be creative in the space. Thank you. Mm -hmm. um, hello. Hi, I'm Suzanne. <coughs> um, and I was an AmeriCorps member with College Possible a few years back. And um, so thanks College Possible for putting this together and thank you for being here. Um, so my question kind of revolves around inclusion in the workplace and this is for everyone on the panel. Um, so I always struggle with like what comes first, you know, like the recruitment piece, uh, do you need diversity in the workplace to have an inclusive space? So I guess what action comes first and how do you grow inclusion? Um, and I guess um, for everyone, what has made you feel like your workplace is inclusive or what, have, what has worked well in your workplace. Thanks. 
Um, I think I could talk about what worked well. Uh, what worked well for me is having managers that are able to, to understand where you come from, not just, hey, you add diversity. And I mean, I've worked from large to smaller organizations. Um, and just knowing that you being there, it's outside your element. So when you meet with managers, for me especially, I've, I've expressed that, that you know, being outside my element, it's, it's a challenge itself. And then just understand that you, you, you need to have colleagues and um, you know, supervisors, anybody that, that works alongside you, willing to build a bridge. So just the willingness, I think that's the most important piece that I've found in the organizations I worked with. And I mean, there are a lot of challenges with being expected to act a certain way or um, you know, just, just assimilating to, to look like you know, someone else. But you really have a background and, and understanding of something that's totally different, which could be a really a great thing for the company, but some companies don't see it. Most uh, that try to see it will benefit from it. So just the, I think it starts at the leadership, and those, if those leadership understand what you bring to the table, it makes it an easier transition. Well, I would say one of the things you have to be comfortable with is to be really uncomfortable. I think there's a fallacy that you can slip into if you're people like me who've been part of the majority culture for a long time and are saying, this is so great, we're gonna invite other people into our place, okay? It's not like that. And um, so like my third day on the job at the Minneapolis Foundation was the Philando Castile shooting. And um, a couple women in the office who both are raising kids of color were deeply, deeply, deeply upset in this situation. And it was clear that people on the other side of the office were, you know, it was a news item. And um, their realities were so vastly different that um, we decided to just pull people together and talk about it, which is a pretty dangerous thing, walking into a new place. And I'm not saying I did it perfectly at all, but it was a really helpful conversation to level set that we all brought different experiences to work that day. And it included one of the, uh, our African-American employees who is very quiet in most gatherings. And he said, I just need you to know that I call my wife several times during the day. And you may just think that's because I love her, but it's because I know that it's not always certain I'm gonna come home at night. And that was a real stark reality for a lot of folks. And so the number one thing on my mind this morning when I woke up is with the verdict for Castile coming back, how do we go back into a workplace and find common ground? Or do we? And is it the same or not? You know, so I think what's the most comfortable thing to do is to be uncomfortable. <laughs> and that's the point, actually. So can I jump in here? Because I really am passionate about this. Um, both and what comes first, right? Not one or the other. In the recruiting process, as you hire a, diver a more and more diverse workforce, we change the workforce as we move through it. We do it, you know, I'm both. So as a woman, you move it. If you are successful and move along, you change the norms. You change what's acceptable. The chatter before a meeting moves from pure sports all the time, which <laughs> is great. I know a lot of women like sports, that's great to you know, sometimes shoes, or sometimes a movie, or sometimes what's going on with the family. It changes because of who's in the room. So that's the recruiting piece, right? Um, the retention piece, you know, the inclusion piece, changes when we create, sometimes companies need us to help them figure out what we need to, to be successful in the environment. We need mentors because we need to navigate and braille this, this environment that's foreign. We need spaces where we feel safe and can learn from those who've gone behind before us. So that's many companies have employee resource groups. We have employee networks. Um, you know, I had the privilege of helping to create our Black Champions Network m many years ago. I'm, I'm going on my 29th year here at General Mills. Okay. So we, we, they need us, and we need to own helping our organizations navigate this creation of a more inclusive workplace. It's not like they can do it on their own for us. We need to change the places where we are and be willing to, to jump in and let them know how we're feeling. 
we need to let them know that it would be good to have a forum where we can talk about matters of race. This is something we've dived into, too, at General Mills. We've had, I think, six or seven um, racial dialogue events where we've talked about everything from Islamophobia to what you're saying, the, the shooting of Philando Castile. We've had the police chief in and the mayor and, you know, Creating safe spaces is something that I don't know that they would have gotten to on their own. I say they, I would say sort of that, that central white male power structure. But we're very receptive to. And you know, senior leadership showing up, showing they care about this. So, so it's both and. You need to bring the talent in, know that it will change your workforce, but also there are specific actions that companies need to take that we can help them identify. Hi, uh, my name is Erica Allenberg, and I'm running for school board in the Edina Public School District. And one question I had: um, It seems that to create a diverse workforce begins with um, bridging the achievement gap in our educational system. And I was just wondering if any of you on the panel had any thoughts about, especially in the state of Minnesota with how large the achievement gap is, thoughts on how our public schools can do that? You start. <laughs> Kim and I were founding members of something called Generation Next, and she was the chair who hired me to run the organization. The organization's 100% focused on closing gaps for kids of color. I don't think either of us sit here knowing at all the answers, but I know that it's very powerful to sit at a table with Kim and superintendents and mayors and uh, foundation heads to focus on it. Um, the, there's a, it's really hard for me to come up with one or two quick things, but I do think one of the most important pieces to think about that is that there are tangible gaps that are unbelievably unacceptable at different levels. But they include a couple things. One, along racial lines, math and reading scores and graduation rates uh, still are huge gaps. There are also huge gaps for some of the students of Edina in uh, cultural fluency. And a kid from an Edina school or a school with a, uh, with a, with, and, and by the way, Edina schools are diversifying significantly, but still it's very different than, say, a school in the middle of the cities. The kid who graduated from the school in the middle of the cities has had an opportunity for more cultural fluency. So we have to recognize we all come at gaps on that. So schools need to, just like employees, they need to find ways to diversify if they're not, because their students are, have an opportunity gap in cultural fluency. I think there's also just really the important point that we must put out of business schools that are not meeting kids' needs. Washburn High School in Minneapolis was failing. The superintendent took really tough action. Students walked out, teachers were furious, parents were upset. Washburn is a dramatically better high school today. North High, same story. These are success stories that can be done, but only if people have guts. So my build, again, I, I, I'm, I'm with RT. It's, I wish there were some silver bullet that someone could answer that question. It's like, oh, that's all we needed to do. You know? But it's so complex and so challenging. I've come to believe that the solution lies in a more integrated, um, student-centered partnership between the external community and all the, the whole sector that services young people, youth, and parents, both, and then the district. And the reason I say that is, um, you know, there are pockets of success and examples of where students are doing better. And whether it's high school grad rates, um, you know, we know that this can be done. And nationally, there's some information that would suggest that there are, there is potential for success. But I think right now the the broad community that is, is desperately concerned about this issue and includes the business community, the philanthropic sector, et cetera, is not necessarily aligned on the right approaches. We're randomly 
you know, kind of going after little pockets of and initiatives. And that's really why Generation Next was created, to say, what if we all aligned on what the best things were to do and we focus there versus randomly sort of, we call it spray and pray, scattering resources and hoping maybe, you know, we'll get somewhere. And, and whatever the broader community wants to do, it should be like this with what the districts are trying to do. So if a district, we have two new uh, school district leaders in St. Paul and Minneapolis, what an opportunity. I know you're, you're looking at Edina, but there a lot of kids are in these two big districts. And I think they're both excited and energized and really wanting to go after this. So that partnership, actually, it was just announced that um, Superintendent Graff is, I just left the co-chairmanship uh, of Generation Next, and as did President Kaler, and we're being succeeded by Superintendent Graff in many, Minneapolis Public Schools, as well as Reba Dominski at US Bank. And I think that's a huge opportunity to try to harness the resources of the community more in alignment with what the district is trying to do, whether it's a reading initiative or a STEM initiative, I think that's where the answer is going to lie. Hi, my name is Enrica. I'm a recent college um, graduate, and I'm back here this summer working with Breakthrough Twin Cities here with my boss, Josh Ronitz. <laughs> and I have two questions. So what I have found as a young African-American woman of color with now an undergraduate degree and going into my PhD program is discussions of social mobility and oftentimes how for um, of color students, um, how social mobility actually also tends to be a conversation that gets neglected in workforce as well as in education. And so changes that we go through with degrees, with the jobs and the internships that we access oftentimes create differences between our family and where we, where we came from and where we're going. And so as a, conversa as a sector of conversation that gets neglected oftentimes, in what ways is anyone can answer college possible, also fostering and cultivating a sense of common language between that kind of difference? Uh, my second question is for Maya and Fasil. So both of you talked about advice that you have for recent college graduates, right? Like, have access to a mentor, be comfortable with the fact that you are different in a workplace, and read books, and uh, be comfortable reaching out into a different network. But what I think would be helpful to the, probably the fact that most of this room is not recent college graduates is if you could talk about specific examples of the challenges that you face in doing that. So it's, not, for example, imposter syndrome, right? It's not difficult actually finding a mentor for myself with a young white man in Minneapolis what are the challenges that you experienced in making those connections that might be helpful for employers and for other business people in the room? So is it access to the books? How did you get that? Uh, if it's access to a mentor, was it not having an email responded to and how to go about, who do you look to, right? For how do you word an email? How do you request a mentor meeting for coffee? If you don't have transportation, how do you get reimbursed in the office? Right, if you could give examples of what those challenges are to accessing the advice that you gave to better help people in the room. Um, <laughs> that was the latter question. Um, I'll start, I think, with this, the first question in, in terms of the gap that you have with yourself and um, say, even with your family and your community. Uh, one of the things that I personally started uh, exploring is starting, um, so right before I graduated, I, I had this idea that when I get to the Twin Cities, I'm gonna create, because um, let me back up a second. I was privileged enough at Gustavus to have uh, mentors set up for me, to have a, a really great mentorship program that was uh, really involved in the uh, econ departments, as well as uh, you know being, if you're an athlete, you also had mentors that, that are outside of that. So, you know, I, I can understand where the mentorship issue could arise for a lot of people, but, you know, I had the opportunity to, to be presented by that at the, uh, when I was at Gustavus. So right before um, I arrived here, I, I thought about this idea of connecting young professionals. So the lack was that when I arrived, like when I come home, it was, 
you know, dealing with people or dealing, dealing with friends, family members that were actually nowhere near, not to say they're not intelligent, they're not smart, it's just you had an opportunity to explore um, an, an ideal perspective and, and, you know, just be able to see within yourself your capacity and being able to grow. And just that challenge of communicating that with your, with your you know, who you grew up with, it was really tough. So what I thought about is starting an organization that would kind of allow me to have those like-minded people come together and just keep networking about ideas that we can uh, take back to the community. Um, and I was fortunate enough to do that. Uh, I, I mean, it's still going on, but we are not uh, too active right now. Um, I started a networking group uh, by partnering with uh, recent U of M graduates. It's, it was called, uh, it's still called uh, Network Ethiopia, connecting uh, Minnesota and Ethiopians. And we, we, we tried different, different avenues. I think that that's the challenge, right? Like we, we kind of want that equation that, that's completed by the time we graduate college, but that's not, that's rarely the case. So you kind of have to innovate. And in that innovation, you, you run into challenges that help you solve those problems, right? That's what we went through the, school, the schooling program, that you're able to solve problems and then move on from it. So I think that that was a challenge for me, and fixing that was having people that that were like me, around me all the time, kind of keep talking about ideas um, that that could benefit the community. And we continue to do that. We hosted events, and we invited a lot of recent and you know former graduates and not, people that were accomplished to give speeches and talk about their perspective and it's always I always believe that somebody that went through it before me always has a better idea than me so that that kind of helped me understand myself in a way um, and you know in terms of you know wording and being mobile that's that's kind of a, a creativity I, I think you know not to just put everything on you know those recent graduates but you have to take on the world you have to be able to be tough enough. This is just being blunt, but just face it. That's, that's the case, and you have to figure out ways. And I think that's when you're the most creative. Um, coming up with me, emails, just I've, I've done so much research in terms of, you know, we have, especially our generation, I think we have the opportunity to just Google something, right? But and even <laughs> beyond that, like, innovate. Which one, you know, what makes sense? What's more personable? What's like me? was the most that I focused on. Um, and then by doing that, you know, in the reading part, I think that just kind of sharpened me in a lot of ways, that it sharpened understanding of myself. So if I understand myself, like I said earlier, I understand what I'm getting into. I understand how I'm being presented. So those are the things that I really focused on. Um, and then, you know, just out of some, most of the time, I mean, some of the time was luck, so I just kind of counted, counted on that. And I always, I'm going to say this, but th that conversation, once you do this and you get to run into a mentor that, that sort of see you grow, but you don't really see the growth because you're within yourself, that's the key. I think that helps me highlight the things that, wow, I'm actually not that bad. Like, I get to meet with my mentors <laughs> and I work on things. So that's the way I would, uh, I would advise that. So. I... For me, I was very fortunate that even though my parents did not go to college, you know, low-income family, they were very supportive. And so that's a privilege for me. And um, I think it also comes with self-responsibility, like understanding what you don't have and um, seeking out those opportunities. Because there's a lot of organizations out there that are willing to help, and I know that it might not be easy for someone who's never been there, but you know you have to go out and look for yourself. And so for me, even starting in high school, not really knowing college, understanding what college possible was all about, but thinking, hey, I know I want to go to college. You know, let me join this program and see how it can benefit me. And then being a part of the program, learning that you know you have to take ACTs, you have to um, actually practice, and you have to apply. There's scholarships, all these things that you need to do. Um, that support was provided by College Possible. I wouldn't have been able to do that. My parents wouldn't have been able to provide me that. 
And um, after graduating from, well, in college, knowing that I um, want to work in corporate, not knowing how to get into that because my parents, they work in medical assembly. You know, it's manual labor work. They've never had an office job. So how do I get an office job? Um, I looked for opportunities there. So Travelers Insurance, they had, and when we talk about organizations like General Mill that are purposeful and how they're hiring diverse um, talent, I think Travelers did a great job doing that because they offered an internship opportunity, mentorship, uh, and just networking opportunities for students uh, who come from underrepresented backgrounds. And so I applied for the scholarship, I was accepted. And with that, that's how I really got into the corporate world. I mean, talk about like not knowing what it's like to work in an office job. Like when I got there and I learned that for like business meetings, they would go to, so Travelers is in St. Paul and they'd go to Kincaid's for lunch. They'd ask if you want a white napkin or a black napkin. I'm like, I don't know, I just want a napkin. So things like that. <laughs> so just things like that, navigating through that, those are all first for me, but there were also learning opportunities. And it's all about just taking self-responsibility and seeking those opportunities out. You know, you had so much in your question, sorry to pop into this thing, but one other part you had in that whole issue about social mobility, you went quickly over separation from families. When I saw Facile, who I hadn't seen in several years, the first question, one of the first questions I asked, you remember, was you still speak your native language? Yep. The reason I did that was because of that question. We do, I think, pretty well in this community for celebrating young people doing these great things. We do a lousy job of valuing their parents and their families and their grandparents who not only got them here and we owe them a debt, but also possess a lot of knowledge that you as young people have. You know, the American dream forever has been assimilate, move forward, and do all that. But stop and think about this. Okay, Kim's got to go back to her office and somebody's gonna say, wow, we're really trying to expand in Ethiopia. We've gotta really get more workers who understand the language and the culture. She's gonna pick up the phone and go, wow, I met this incredibly talented young person who still speaks the language of that place, okay? So I do think we do need to do a better job of saying, find your mentor in this new place and this other thing, but talk to your parents, value the work. In many cultures that are family oriented, the model shouldn't be come to this place where now you forget your family. So I think we've got to do a better job. If we really want to be a globally fluent place, there are globally fluent people who are pushing their children ahead, and we can't let them fall behind, too. You know, one other thing that I think is so critical as we think about social mobility and these, these tensions and challenges, and they're just hard. They just are, and they're going to be. And I can't tell you how many young people I've had this conversation with, you know, making it, so to speak, you know, going to college, getting a good job, getting on a track, just creates tremendous tension in peer relationships, et cetera. One of the most powerful um, antidotes to those tensions is engagement with youth, you know, in your community. It can be your family and understanding how incredibly powerful it is for young people, kids, to see you and be with you. And so I think that is, we talked about the achievement gap, I think that's another component. Inspiring role models who, you know, they know, they remember when you were in the neighborhood and just interacting with them and decoding how you, how you achieved what you achieved. And I think that can be a way that helps people reconcile that tension and sometimes people even feel guilt, which is insane because you've done nothing more than what you're your grandparents and great-grandparents and parents hoped you would do. So, uh, you know, that's, I want to throw that out as well. Okay. Uh, at this point, I'm actually going to um, stop with the audience question so that we have time for one last question that I'd like to ask of each of our panelists. What are specific and immediate next steps that people in this room can take as they think about impacting diversity and inclusion practices at their organizations or in their own roles? Um, just be intentional that when you meet someone that's different, and I, I thank you, IT, for talking about the language issue, that 
we often feel, like, I mean, I often feel when I talk to my parents, it's completely in a different language and different culture. And I mean, I would challenge you. Can you handle that? Can you handle having completely two different cultures and there's no middle ground and you're kind of like bouncing back and forth? That's a very stressful environment for most of my peers that I know of. So it's like, be aware of that. Like that awareness itself is really helpful so you can understand where things are at. Um, and when you move forward, you meet somebody, just, and I'll, I'll, I'll be quite honest, I can't represent all Ethiopians. And just know that. Like I, it's just, I'm representing myself and in that itself, and oftentimes that's the case where you're looked at, oh, represent this group of people or, you know, black males and being in America or black, I mean, Ethiopian American and so on. Like, I can't do that. The only way, the, re, the only perspective I can bring is what my parents taught me and then what I've tried to create along the way. So just that awareness of like, you understand the fact that these people aren't going to teach you. I remember this uh, specific uh, example where I was taking a cultural anthropology class and it was my freshman year. I was so frustrated. Um, the anthropologist studied Native Americans um, and, and obviously that her experience hasn't really been outside of the United States and near the United States. So she would ask me questions. So what do you guys, what do you do, you know? And I, I used to get really frustrated. It's like, I'm here to learn from you and you're asking me questions, I'm as lost as you in that sense. <laughs> so we, we, can't, you know, we can't lead each other in, in that way. So just be aware that you know, people like that, like, I mean, I represent some part of that culture, not everything. So it just be aware of it and try to, try to understand and where people are coming from. And it's, it's the same way for me too. Like I always try to look at individuals versus what, what they bring to the table. But it's really important that um, you know, having those bridges between, I think everyone here, it, it can ripple and create a real difference. So. Um, one of my favorite uh, mottos in life is just create what you want. Right, so the Gandhi, you know, be the change you want to see in the world, and it requires courage. It just does. It requires confidence, which is hard to come by. Um, but uh, ultimately, I think the our organizations, our companies, whatever, the world needs us to change it as we move through it, and we can do that. And um, you know, I think some of the things that Maya and Fasil talked about earlier, the assets in particular that this generation particularly the diverse pieces of this generation bring, cultural adaptability, um, you know, fluency in another language, in many cases, I have a global organization, resiliency, yeah. having overcome many struggles. You know, I really see that as, as powerful assets that, you know, bring all of that into the workplace. Um, so if you're in a population that's trying to penetrate uh, the, the business environment I can only speak for, I would say help that environment understand how it needs to change to retain and attract you and create those communities that you need, as you were talking, Fasil, about creating that community that you needed. So don't be so afraid. Get out there and do that. If you are um, in a majority culture position and you want your organization to be able to better integrate and leverage all of this talent coming out, I think you need to get involved. You can reach out to, if you're in a corporation, most of them have employee networks, and ask them, how can I help? What can I do? And how can I champion what, you are, what you're trying to accomplish? Um, mentors are always needed, and they tend to be cross-race, cross, uh, cross cross-culture, et cetera, because you know, many of these organizations are majority <laughs> culture. So are you mentoring somebody, or two or three, or four or five people? You know, so, so think about that, I would say, if you're, if you're in the majority culture. Um, when the bridge out here, uh, 35W, collapsed, I learned a really important lesson. Um, when the bridge collapsed itself, there were people who did these really heroic things, and they jumped in the water and did great things out of duty. 
But when it came time to rebuild the bridge, there was a really different tone to all of it. People were incredibly excited about this mission of getting this thing done in one year, which it's a three-year job. It was impossible to rebuild that in one year, but they did. The workers were amazing. The politicians got along. The school kids did school patrols on the busier streets with a different traffic. I mean, it was a mission and it was exciting. And if you apply that to this work, I think the work of pivoting to a more plural world is often seen like the duty of the, when the bridge collapsed. We're gonna do this because we have to and it's the right thing to do. That's true. But the, the incredibly uplifting part of this is we're in the middle of the most exciting part of repositioning who and what we are here in this community. We have never had the opportunity to understand as much of the globe right here at home. We've never been on the brink of being as economically viable. We've never been as able to finally get the American dream right for everyone. I mean, this is exciting stuff. And there are a series of really difficult tactics in all of it, but if we look at it as this incredibly exciting mission, we're gonna bring a very different value system and just get a lot more done. I would say just continue to have conversations like what we're having today to really learn what those differences are of those people that are in, in our communities that can provide a lot of wonderful assets and skills to your organizations. Like understand why someone like me from a low income family, I have a lot of skill sets that I can provide, but I don't really understand like, you know, in corporate world, what it's like to go up north to someone's cabin for the weekend. I don't know what that's like. If you can just have these conversations and connect and understand what your strengths and skills are, um, I think our organizations can be really successful. Great, thank you. Thank you so much to our panelists for your insight and for this incredible conversation today.